Genesis 1. Um, I want to turn to the Lord in prayer again before we read anything or I speak anything uh, because I don't want to lead you astray this morning. And I don't want you to hear something I haven't said either. So I want us all to turn to the Spirit of God and ask that He would be our guide, our help, uh, in these in these holy matters. And so if you would bow with me one last time. Father, by the Spirit, would you lead and guide, would you bring your truth from my lips into the, the ears, minds, and hearts of the hearers? Would you open up our eyes to see your truth that we might live, that we might glorify you in faith, in obedience, and in love, all for your sake, in Christ's name, amen. So, uh, we're going to spend four weeks on family. So here's what I want you to know. This is not going to be exhaustive. It cannot be. Uh, I'm long-winded enough. For us to try to do and cover everything that we need in four weeks, well, let me, let me. I'm kind of cheating. It's we're going to use the eve, Sunday evening as well, so we've got a little bit of time in the evening to help us through this as well. But what I want you to understand is the purpose of this month is to grab on to the high points, the truths that are there, because we I, I, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks and getting into the down and dirty of of uh, the role of man, the role of women, uh, parenting, and this and that, and back and forth, headship, submission. And we're going to touch on these things. We're going to touch on these things. But we are just going to grasp the high points this month, okay? And so I just want you to be aware of that. Um, it's very obvious to us all, if you exist, you've experienced family, it's, it's inevitable, right? Uh, but for some of you, the experience might be a nightmare. And for some of you, it might be the, the best memories that you have. But regardless of our background, regardless of where we've come from, regardless of even our beliefs, every human being has experienced family. And why? It's because it is universal. Uh, it is a universal custom or practice, which I didn't like saying that word because it seemed to, to, to lower it to just something that we do. But it literally is a universal practice. Because why? A society cannot exist apart from family. And so if you exist in a society, whether you're in Fulton County, Arkansas, or in the jungles of Africa... If you are, exist in a community, in a society, it is based on the practice of family. Um, Level-headed unbelievers, if there's such a thing, will acknowledge that family is a pillar, if not the foundation, to a society. So we have to understand that Family is absolutely necessary, and if you try to pull it out, if you try to mess with it, the walls of society, the walls of your community fall down. If you blow up the foundation, the building will come down. Um, and now as we take a step back, excuse me for just one second, I'm going to turn this on. And let me make this statement for any of our, our guests that we do have a nursery and I just turned on the microphone. So if you need to, to use it for diapers or uh, crying babies, whatever you need it, it's back there and the audio is going back there. So, But also know that we love the sound of babies crying. So that's okay. Don't worry about that. Um, so now as we take a step back and we consider the signs of the times, right? Right now we look around. Um, it kind of feels like the walls of society are crumbling down around us, right? It feels that way. Uh, and if we look closer and truly examine what's going on around us, we see the world 
holding the detonator in hand, right? Wanting to blow up the biblical family. Wanting to blow up the very thing that holds up the society uh, around us. Now, there are many ways you could respond to that statement, but there's two that came to my mind. And number one, uh, you might say, oh, okay, well, I wouldn't say necessarily the, the world's attack on the family is what's making this whole society and country and world in chaos right now, but it's an attack on God, or it's it's a forgetting of God, or it's a removal of Him from this or that. And I would say you're exactly right. Um, but I would remind you that if you negate, if you demean, or even attack the thing that which the Creator gives, you are attacking the Creator. You are attacking the giver. So if the attack is on the family, if the goal is to uh, make the family go away, then yes, without a shadow of a doubt, you are attacking Him who gave you the family. If the, if the family is a universal truth, and I think we can all acknowledge that it is, it's a universal through time and space, no matter if it was 6,000 years ago or six minutes ago, whether it was in America or in Europe or Africa, the reason why it's universal is because its origin is from in the beginning. All things universal to man find their origin in the beginning. They have to. And if they find themselves if they find their origins in the beginning, where did it come from? We know that it came from God. If something is created by God in the beginning, do you think he did it intentionally? Do you think he had a purpose? Do you think he had a design in mind? Yes. But the reality is, the reality is, is we've lost that purpose. We've lost that design. And I don't just mean the world around us, but even as Christians, we've been so influenced by the ways of the world, it is sad and shameful. And I'm not, I'm not pointing just, I'm, I'm acknowledging that even within myself. The influence that the world presses on us has creeped into our understanding of family. I saw um, I saw an image yesterday uh, that said we ought. I'm paraphrasing. We ought not to be influenced by the culture, but by God. And in doing that, we have an influence on the culture. But we've gotten it backwards. God's purpose for the family has been lost. In, in, um, in the trash of this fallen world. The design for the home, marriage, has been muddled by the, and you'll hear me say this throughout the month, the isms of this world. And when I say that, I mean, as Brother Dan had talked about in Sunday school class a few weeks back, the worldly wisdom and they take forms of materialism, progressivism, feminism, secularism. And I could go on and on and on. And if you think, well, I don't know what those are. Well, over these next four weeks, we're going to learn what these, four, these few things are. These things that muddle, these things that destroy God's design and purpose for the family. And the reason... The church has lost its understanding of the purpose of the family is because we have left the Holy Scriptures. We have left the Holy Scriptures. And, and because, because we do not ground ourselves in the truth, we do not take it as God has given it, we... An extension of also the culture is being tossed to and fro by this worldly wisdom. And it's being deceived by these schemes that come from Satan to us through the world. Now you say, well, I read my Bible, but you're not talking about me. Okay, 
what I want us to understand in this this month, and I hope I portray this all the time, is that just because you read your Bible does not mean you trust the Bible. Just because you have a copy does not mean you believe in its sufficiency for life and godliness. That Now, don't go somewhere and say, Luke said if you read the Bible, you're not doing enough. I want you to understand that the Scriptures are what God has given us along with the indwelling Holy Spirit for us to live our lives for the sake of glory to God and the good of ourselves. And if you are not determined to live by what he has said, you might as well just be reading it as fiction. You understand? If you're not reading your Bible, at least just read it right now. And if you're only reading it in passing, prayerfully read your Bible. And if you're prayerfully reading your Bible, go to the next step. And truly study the depths of your Bible. Now that might mean you get five minutes in the morning. Take it. You might get 20 minutes after supper. Take it. And I, I this isn't to say that you must understand all things and be this high lofty theologian. But the reality is, is God has given you his word in order that you might have life through the Son by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So take it and and feast on it. Feast on it. And, but don't get me wrong that this isn't a new issue. This isn't a new problem. It seems to as, as if it is uh, increasing. The snowball that's headed for hell seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right? But this began in the garden. The attack on the family began in the garden. Um, Satan was the first attack on the family. And how did he do it? He bypassed Adam and went to deceive Eve. He undermined God's design for the family. He wanted to undermine how God created Adam and Eve. Eve was captured by Satan, and there beside her was her husband, her head, her leader, standing there in shame as he failed to protect his wife, failed to protect his family. And see, this pattern has continued and has still goes on today. I don't know if you're familiar We in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We won't go there at this moment. But Paul tells Timothy, we know this very clearly as we're concerned about the end of times. or we, we're, we're trying to, to figure out how bad things are, are going on in the world. Paul says in the, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And he goes on through a laundry list of sinful characteristics uh, of people who appear to have godliness but deny its power. Bad people. Enemies of God. Do you know who their target is? Women. Women. He says, For among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passion. Now the question that you ought to have is, how dare Paul call women weak? That's not it. The question that should arise in your mind is, where are their husbands? Where are the men? They have fallen in line with Adam. And they are standing beside, passive, watching Satan attack their women. Okay? This has started in the garden and has come through. Men have lost their way. They've lost their understanding of what it means to be a husband, the head, the leader of the family. And it began with Adam and it will continue to go on. And the world has taken advantage of it and has attempted to confuse 
and stifle even more. In this series, we hope to recover. We hope to recover what it means to be a family, what it means to be a husband, the head, to, 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 to fully love and honor your wife, what it means to be a wife, a helper, fit for the man, loving and caring for him and submitting to him and bringing life into this world. Lord willing, we will see why God desires to bring two together in marriage. Why He intends to have children come from that union and raised up in a way to please God. And the only way to recover it, I've already mentioned, is by rediscovering it where it can only be found in the Scriptures. So I said there were two types of responses to that claim. Originally that the world is tearing down the walls of society by attacking the family. The other issue that might arise in your heart right now, the other question is, I don't really see a problem today. I don't really see that there's an issue with the family. I actually think we're doing better things for the family these days. Uh... I hope none of you see it that way. But because I want to care for you and because I love you, if you look around the world today and you think that the family is making progress, I just want you to know that you are blind. The God of this world has blinded your minds and kept you from seeing the truth of God. The world does not and cannot make the family better. That's to say that God didn't do it the right way. That's to say that he was wrong. Now, I told you we'd get to these isms as we go throughout this series. Well, this first one that's coming popped up is the idea of progressivism. That we can only get better. That the past, the ways of old, are no good. And we must always be getting better. But the problem is, is that in progressivism, in trying to get better, the ways of old are right here. And so the only way that we can actually improve on society, including the family is to throw away what God hath said and figure out a better way. But I want us to know and always understand not the cliche that when God had finished his creation, including the first family, he said it was very good. It cannot be made better. The world cannot enhance marriage. Any enhancement that we try to attempt to make on marriage and the family is only going against the purpose and design of God. Okay, so I'm still on my introduction here, but I promise the the, the main points won't be long. Um, so this is sort of more of an introduction to the series uh, along with knowing God's, our, our first main point this morning will be God's purpose for family. But a few, uh, a quick side notes. Uh, number one, this series will test your commitment to Scripture. I will read things in the Bible that you will want to disagree with. I promise. Uh, we will say things. We will read things out of Scripture that go against decades of indoctrination that we all have received from the world through progressivism, feminism, materialism, transgenderism. All of these things have been, have been inching their way into our understanding of what family is, what marriage is, what parenting is. These ideas have been so ingrained into our culture, our understanding of these things, that when we're going to be confronted with them by the truths of Scripture, you will feel discomfort. No matter how godly you think you are or how devoted to Scripture, I will 
almost guarantee you that you will feel some sort of pain. Uh, you remember when you got the scraped knees? You, you're outside playing as a kid, and I know we deal with scraped knees all the time. And you got dirt and all that stuff in it. What's the best thing for a scraped knee? Some rubbing alcohol, right? That's the best thing. But it has got to be the one thing in your in your life you don't want at that moment. When you have a scraped knee is to pour rubbing alcohol on it. It's kind of what's going to happen over this next month, okay? We are in need of healing in our understanding of Scripture, okay? We are in need of healing of our understanding of men and women and the family. And it's going to burn a little bit. And it's not because I'm going to be mean or yelling. It's just because... When you bring holiness against sin and, and, and secularism, it hurts. It's called suffering. And I want you to understand that suffering actually produces glory. That's why we said, that's why Paul tells the Romans in Romans 8 that you can only be an heir of God and you can only be glorified with Jesus provide you suffer with him. And what is the whole context of that? those four or five verses before that? That you put to death the deeds of the body. That you kill sin. People, we've got it in us. We know we've got it in us. And we want, we want that rubbing alcohol to come upon us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, okay? That's our hope. So it's it's going to hurt. Um, number two, it's easy. Now this is probably more of a warning than anything. It is so easy, especially in marriage, to take the truths of Scripture... And twist them. To use them for your own advantage. Or to think that you can help God a little bit. And what He has purposed and designed. Now I, I could, we could spend a whole sermon talking about the ways that we could do this. But I just want to give you two. I just want to give you two. Many, from the, from the men's perspective. Many Christian traditions have taken the teaching that the man is the head of the wife and ran it into the ground and wrecked families and lives and children. Harder than any scheme of this world has ever attempted. Because when you take, when, when you mix the truth of headship, of a man being the head of the house, the head of the woman, and you entangle that, with an unrepentant sinner, there is grave damage to be done. And there have been many, many in the last 2,000 years who have done that. And so men, beware. Beware that when you go to Scripture to see your role and responsibility, that you know that you've got a double-edged sword in your hand. And you must be careful. You must be delicate while you hold on to that sword strong. So be careful. Now, from a woman's perspective, uh, there have been many, many women throughout church history where they know the truth that they ought to be led by their husband, that their husband is the head of the home, and then they one, see that their husband is skirting or abdicating his duties. Or two, they don't like the way he does it. And they might be right. He might be wrong. But here's what you cannot do, ladies. You cannot forsake your responsibility and role to try to make up and do that which your husband is responsible for. The, the, the saying goes, two wrongs don't make it right. Correct? 
You are called to be obedient to what God says you are called to as a woman. And if your husband has neglected, negated, or shortchanged his duties and responsibilities, it is not your role to go and pick up his, what he's left down. Because then you are letting down what you have been told to carry. Now, you might think, well, I'll just work harder and do more. That's not God's design. Now, we can talk and we can look at exceptions to rules and single parents and single moms. We can go all that, but I want us to understand that we are going at this for the rule, what God has said. If you find yourself in a situation where you're uncertain about how you ought to react or respond as a man or as a woman, let's sit down and prayerfully have those conversations. But right now we're attaining for what God has said, okay? We're not looking for the exceptions right now. So just understand that to avoid endangering ourselves or our families by taking these truths wrongly, it takes faith. Meaning trusting that what God said is right. It takes prayer and seeking wisdom and patience. It takes Christian community that provides encouragement, direction, and accountability. Hey, so-and-so, I heard the way you were talking to your wife the other day. Sounds like you were trying to... Or whatever the case might be. And that is the main emphasis for our upcoming weekly men's meetings is encouragement, accountability, direction, and our women's fellowships that start in October. Right? This is this is a this is something that we must all do together. Uh, the last thing before we get to the God's purpose of family is this series, this look at family, marriage, and parenting and children. This is for everyone. Okay, don't don't be. This is for the uh, the single, the married, the the children, the families without kids, the empty nesters, the grandparents. Right. This applies to all people. Um, if you are are married, and you're like I've been married for four year, forty years, I I think we've got it figured out. Well. I don't think we do. I'll also say this. I've only been married for 11. If you've been married for 40, you've got that much time to have been actually uh, indoctrined by the world than I have. So let's just not say that years equal good experience. Okay? And I'm not pointing any fingers here. I just want to point out that time doesn't always equal wisdom. Okay? Um, married and never had kids. If the Lord has kept you from having kids, I want you to understand this. You and your spouse are still a family. You still have a purpose for the kingdom of God. Even without children. If that, if the Lord in His providence has kept you from having kids. Now, if you haven't had kids because you made the conscious decision not to, we're going to be getting into some more of these isms of the world. You decided not to have kids or you might not want to have kids because you can't pay for your mortgage and your two car loans because you can't you don't want to add diapers to that. That's wrong. Or I don't want to parent this way because or I don't I don't want to commit myself to having too many kids because if I have too many kids, then that's gonna pull me from this or that or whatever the case may be. We cannot, we cannot look to these ideas of finding satisfaction in the world and that kids only get in the way. We know better. We read that in Psalm 127 this morning. So I hope that after we go through this, if you have chose, chosen not to have kids or thinking about not having kids, that after we look at God's purpose in a family that you would uh, think otherwise. Grandparents... We younger folks need you. I gave you a hard time at the beginning about this, about wisdom and time, but we still need you. 
So if we need you to help us understand because of your experience, we need to have the same idea of what family and marriage and raising kids is. You do it, well, we did it this way. Well, is that the way the Bible said to do it? Titus 2 says that the older need to teach the younger. But if you are not teaching what the Bible says, then you're not helping. You're just hurting. And your own kids need you, grandparents. Because they're raising kids, right? They're struggling through marriage, right? They need you. They need your wisdom. They need you to point them back to Scripture. Now, the last group I want... uh, Two more groups. Children, this will be you someday. Kiddos, this will be you someday. You will be seeking a spouse. You might have kids. Hopefully, you know... We've got some time before we get there. All of our, uh, we've got, most of our teenagers were gone, but, you know, it's right around the corner. But thinking about God's purpose for marriage. So kids, pay attention. But here's the last thing I want you to, the last group, and this should touch everyone. As we look at the standard and the purpose of family and marriage, we're all going to have to face the fact that we've missed the mark. All of us. Now, there might be some of you who think, oh, that's, I, that weighs more heavily on me. You, it, you know, I'm on this marriage or that marriage, or you should see how I raise my kids. Here's the reality. You can't do it over again. You can't do it over again. But here's what you can do. You can repent. You can confess. And then you can help. You don't know what God's got in store for you. If there is life to live, you don't know what's around the corner. So... Do not say, I'm not coming back because I'm, I, I failed already. I don't have another chance. No. Come and hear the word of the Lord. Receive His knowledge and grow and be prepared to have another chance. You never know. Alright. So... What is God's purpose for family? What do we mean by family? And the only reason I say that is because I saw this ridiculous thing, or my wife saw this ridiculous thing the other day on somewhere where someone was complaining because we're us holier-than-thou people are, are saying a family is a husband and a wife. Why not a, a person and a dog? Now... I don't. We don't have. I don't want to have to sit here and you know go through all the specific scenarios that what we know what makes a family, and just to make sure that that we we are on the same page, we have to understand that a family starts with marriage. Okay, and we'll see this in the scriptures in a minute. Understand that marriage is a part of what it means to say family. I'm going to use those terms interchangeably throughout the next four weeks. Uh, but when we think of family, we know that it begins with marriage. Two marriage, two people come together in marriage. They become what? They become one. You don't become one with your dog, okay? You don't become one with your neck. You become one with your spouse. And what happens in that oneness? Your family grows. Right? That is a family. What happens from then on? Someone from that family does what? Leaves that family. And they meet someone from another family. They come together and what happens? Family. So, that is what a family is. Um, That's how God designed it. Family is the fruit of marriage, which it's kind of just like this circular thing. What what came first, the chicken or the egg? But now that we know that, uh, 
God's purpose for the family is simply this. And you're thinking, wow, thanks, man. Um, God's purpose for the family is God's glory. It's God's glory. Marriage is meant to bring glory to God. Bearing and raising children is meant to bring glory to God. And let, let me say it. Let me say it this way. Your marriage and the raising of your children is to be done in a way that God's goodness, His love, His patience, His fatherly discipline, His faithfulness is made known to those around you. That was a big sentence. Let me say this again. Your marriage and raising your children is to be done in a way that God's goodness, His love, His patience, His fatherly discipline, and His faithfulness goes out from your marriage, goes out from how you raise your family, and others see it. That is giving glory to God because people are seeing the character of God come from what is happening in your home. Your family is to be a mirror reflecting back to God and the world around you that says, how great is the triune God. That's what our families are made for. Now, let's go ahead, go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What, in order for this to happen, two things we have to understand. Number one starts in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So here's what you've got to understand about that word image. Image is something that resembles the actual thing. It is the likeness of. Right? Uh, it's not the thing, but it's like the thing. You keep photos of your loved ones who have passed away in your home. Why? To remember them. To, to remember the glory and the joy of the, of the times together. And you look at their faces on those images and you remember. But it's not, it's not them. It's not them. But it helps you to see them and to remember them. See, Adam was the image of God. Eve was made in the image of God. And while Adam gave more than all the other creation, let me restate this. As the image of God, Adam's purpose in existence was to resemble God. And in doing that, give Him glory. Now, do you think the birds of the air and the fish of the sea gave God glory after He created them? Of course they did. Of course they did. But Adam gave much more glory to God than those birds and those fish and those animals. Because He was reflecting the glory of God. He was the likeness of His Creator. The fish? No. The birds? No. But Adam reflected the image of God and in doing that gave more glory to God than anything on the earth. When you want to remember the glory of the, of the loved one like, or the, the, the memories of the loved one, a photo is always better than that inanimate object, right? Like, oh, that's the chair they sit in. And you think, and that brings that brings glory to their to their memory, and you think about that, but it's when you see their face, when you see the image of them, that actually brings forth more glory and remembrance of what that picture represents. The same for Adam and opposed as opposed to the animals and the creatures and the, the creeping things that God created. Uh, in our catechism that we've been going through on the back of our bulletin, the first question that we ever looked at was, what is the chief end of man? And it's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God 
and enjoy Him forever. That's the individual purpose of each and every one of you, to glorify God. That's why you breathe. Now, we just talked about Adam, but what about the family? Look what he says in verse 27. So God created man, and that word man is, is, is uh, for mankind. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, I wonder what was the reason behind a male and a female. I think if we think through that, adults, we get it, right? It's the next verse. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Male and female, he created them. And their task, their task was not to go on and make each other happy, to satisfy one another, to feel loved for one another. Their task was to make more image bearers. Their task was to go forth, cover the earth with images of God, to give glory to him throughout all of, all of his creation. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. This is the first commandment in scripture that we see. Do you know that? The first commandment given in Scripture is in verse 28. To be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The first commandment to God, or from God to man, was to make a family. Now, in theological terms, some people use the phrase that this commandment was called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate, that that was what Adam and all mankind were to do, the task given to us. And the only way to be obedient to the command was to be fruitful and multiply so that the image and the glory of God would spread throughout all creation. And so you may be thinking, why should I care about the glory of God? Let's just make sure you understand that. Each breath that you've, you have right now is so that you would glorify God. You live today with the purpose to glorify God. The question is, is do you take that serious? Do you know why God made you? Do you realize that He wanted to exalt Himself over all creation through your being made in His likeness? And see, this is where the rubber begins to meet the road with the world. Because the world from the garden, Satan from the garden, has wanted to say your purpose is not God-focused, but it's self-focused. Satan said, hey, I got a good deal for you, Eve. This is for you. You're going to benefit from this. You will. Don't worry about what God said. This has been the direction of the world ever since. To remove the focus on God and to bring it to ourselves. We all battle this. You know what this is called? It's called idolatry. Giving glory to something other than God. And that's that's what we do. If you read Romans 1, you find out that that is what God has given us over to. And when we take that from just ourselves and we look at our marriages and we look at our families and we think about the world and the direction that the family is going, we realize that the family is also not Godward focused, but it's self focused. What does the world want for marriage? Fulfillment. Like, I want to get married because it will fulfill me. It'll, it, it, it's, it's what will complete me. You find fulfillment in your purpose given to you by God. To give glory to Him. We might say, 
we look for marriage or for family because that's just what we do. It's a mindless activity that we've taken part in because that's how we are supposed to live. You know, that's where I came from and my parents came from and my parents' parents. It's just what we do. We get married and have kids. And what that leaves a void in what your family is. And Satan comes in and fills that void. For we say we want to be loved. We want to be happy. Again, this is just the self-focused approach that says, I must be satisfied. I deserve love. Well, the problem is, is we don't know what love is. Um, this last week, uh, in, in, in the speech from President Biden, he outlined a threat to America, okay? He, hear this. He outlined a threat to America and defined that the threat are from people who want to deny other people the opportunity to marry those whom they love. Do you understand what we're saying? Do you understand what he's saying? That you Christians, I'll just, I'll translate for you. You Christians who don't want men to marry men and women to marry women because they love each other are a threat to this country. His words, not mine. This is the progress the world is after. That marriage can be anything we want it to be as long as love is involved. Our pursuit of love in the flesh will always bring disaster. Our pursuit of love in the flesh will always bring disaster because that love is not godly love. I want to be careful when I say this. If you, I'm speaking to, to anyone who hears my voice, if you are unhappy, unsatisfied with your marriage or your family situation, more than likely, I'm not saying every time or it's this is the, the case, more than likely you are trying to live up to the world's purpose of family and marriage. And therefore, you will never find happiness or satisfaction because you are after family and marriage for your own purpose, for yourself. Men, if you find yourself dissatisfied or if your wife has been telling you that she is dissatisfied before pushing the blame somewhere else, you need to do a very close self-examination. Very close and very hard. And ask yourself, as the head, am I leading my family, my wife, my kids for the wrong reason? Is my purpose for being the dad and the husband selfish or God-focused? When this is the case, when you've always been unsettled and dissatisfied with the current situation, it is typically because you are focused on yourself. And it's only for when you remove yourself from the throne, you humble yourself before the Lord and submit to His design and His purpose for marriage and for family that you can find true joy and your spouse can find true, true joy. But see, we're going to talk more about this men in the coming weeks it's not whether you're leading because you are whether you're doing it good or bad or you think you aren't at all you are leading your family it's not it's not uh, whether you're doing it it's how you're doing it you understand me so I just want to close with this the New Test as, as New Testament Christians, what's our great mandate, our great commission? It's to go and spread the gospel, right? It's to go and 
make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is the great mandate of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've looked at Hebrews, we've had this weird thing where the new has come in, right? The new covenant. And it has gotten rid of the old. It was weak and incapable of doing what the new came to do. Well, let me just tell you something. That the Great Commission did not get rid of the cultural mandate. It exalted it. It amplified it. The, the first command given from God to man is the first great commission. To go. Fill the earth the sake of the glory of God. But now, as New Testament Christians, we go in the name of Christ, teaching all that He has commanded, filling the earth with the glory of God. So we must not just look at the Great Commission, but not forget the first great mandate that God has given us, and that is to go and make a family for the glory of God. And over the next few weeks, I hope that we can elaborate a little bit further on these things. Begin to pray to evaluate how you think about family, how you think about marriage, what your expectations are as a husband or a wife, and ask yourself, do they line up with the purpose that God has given us? to glorify Himself with our family. Let's pray. Father, would You give wisdom to us all? God, in giving wisdom, we know that You are being merciful to us. We know that You are loving us. And God, if it hurts, would You comfort us? God, would You help us to feast upon Your truth? To be honest with ourselves of our selfishness God, help us. For the sake of Christ and His name and His kingdom, our our King, our Lord, our Bridegroom, for His sake, Amen.